So, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If you recognized uh, that one abundant thing to be the mercy of God, you're correct. Uh, look at verse 32 again. It says, For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. I don't think the all that Paul talks about means every person who walks the face of the earth. God's Word says that broad is the way to destruction and that many will enter in. Those who reject God and reject his Son will without mercy receive condemnation and eternal punishment. However, all that come to Christ, all that follow Him, all that call upon the name of the Lord will receive mercy in Christ. That could be the all that Paul refers to here, and in a sense it is. But I think in a greater sense it is likely that Paul is referring to both the Jews and the Gentiles as nations or groups of people especially the Gentiles, who are many different groups of people, who collectively, together with the Jews, will receive mercy. Not each and every individual in both groups, but each and every individual in both groups God has predestined will come to Christ and receive mercy. God will show mercy to them all, Jews and Gentiles alike. Not just the Jews and not just the Gentiles, but all. Why would God choose to show mercy to some and not all, our passage says his judgments are unsearchable. God has his reasons, which though we search, we may not always find. Some things belong only to God. Why would God save a sinner like me? Our passage says his ways are unfathomable. I can only stand amazed at God's incomprehensible, vast ways and be profoundly thankful, even though I don't understand. His ways are sometimes beyond our understanding. Why would God be so merciful to people who are so rebellious and disobedient? Our passage says, Who knows the mind of God? In awe of God's wonder, He has made a way for us to escape His wrath, as His mercies and compassions are new every morning. And only he knows why it is so. Certainly, no one counseled God on any subject or taught God that he should do a particular thing. 
such as being merciful. God gives us counseling, not the other way around. Did any of you do something for God or give something to God that He should pay you back with such great mercy? Of course not. Anything we could give to God in payment, He created. Everything each of us has, God has given to us. God has shown us mercy, which we cannot purchase from Him, which we cannot earn through work or deed, which we cannot coerce from Him, which we do not deserve. And yet still, God's mercy is spent on us. And so, with God's mercy in mind, Paul says in chapter 12, Therefore, Therefore, because of God's great mercy, therefore, because we have a God that does what He wants and yet is mindful of sinners like us who do not deserve mercy and yet God showers upon us His mercy. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the way, uh, the word urge means to plead, advise, push for, implore, support, recommend, beseech, insist, beg, counsel, and the list could go on for another 20 words, all meaning urge. Paul's urging concerning this matter is for good reason, because in the midst of aspiring to do murderous and destructive damage to believers and to the young church of Christ, Saul, who is now Paul, was stopped by Christ on the very path of implementing his dreadful plans. Paul, thinking he was doing service for God, discovered he was fiercely fighting against God. Jesus opened Saul's eyes to his sinfulness, which would have separated him forever from the God he thought to serve. Paul repented, and God was merciful to Paul, placing him in God's family, and even more, placing him in the inner circle of Christ's closest friends, making him an apostle. Paul is a recipient of God's great mercy of opening his eyes to the truth in Christ, the same as he did for us. And so he pleads and urges by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The Apostle Paul, earlier in the book of Romans, And also, in the book of Ephesians, paints a clear picture of those who know nothing of the mercies of God, even though they too are recipients of God's mercy. I know they are recipients because God is merciful. But I also know that they are recipients because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, the Lord says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous, both prosper from God's mercy. From the depth of Jesus' mercy, he instructs us to love the unrighteous, love them enough to pray for them, even when they persecute us. God's mercy in giving them sunshine and rain allows them to grow crops and flocks and herds, 
with which to feed their families and prosper. Unfortunately, this, the evil and the unrighteous, recognize as good fortune, good luck, good karma. But whatever they recognize it as, they do not attribute it to God's mercy and do not thank Him for it. They make themselves willingly ignorant of God. They present nothing to God, let alone their bodies, and could care less what is acceptable to Him because they do not worship Him. They follow the world wholeheartedly, being driven by every religion and trend the world offers. Their minds and thoughts are full of themselves and sensuality, pornography, adultery, and all such lusts, which they consider private and hidden from all eyes except their own. And so they do not guard their minds, their ears, their eyes, their mouths, or their steps. Anything and everything that is alluring is useful for satisfaction, and they seek it with greed, lusting in hearts and minds. They love no one but themselves and live thinking all is well and just as it should be. But from God nothing is hidden, and their minds and hearts are exposed and laid bare, and God's eyes see them. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Paul wrote about these folks. Uh, If you'll turn first to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Let me get a drink here while you're doing that. I can find it. The blind side. Four seventeen through nineteen. There we go. Paul says here. And keep in mind, he's talking to believers. He says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I said in the beginning that I would share with you something I learned 30 years ago, and I will. First, though, let me share something that I learned while studying for this. Through many years, I've struggled with one word we read here in Ephesians chapter 4. It's the word futility. The dictionary offers definitions such as useless, foolish, pointless, senseless, and vain. Through the years, the best definition of futility that I could find was in the Strong's Concordance, which offered many choices as well, the best of which was emptiness. I still struggled with that definition because unless we are brain dead, our minds are never empty of thought. I finally surrendered to the possibility that these folks 
who walk in the futility of their mind, walk in minds empty of God. That's the best possible definition I could find for many years, which as it turns out is close, but not accurate. The definition is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, which happens to be the next portion of our study. These are verses I've, I've read them hundreds of times and missed the definition each time. Let's read what they say here. Beginning in verse 18, Romans chapter 1, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Hold your place and stop there just for a minute. The definition for futile is coming up and I I want you to see it. So let's continue. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Hold your space again. Please notice that futile thinking is not a mind void of God, but instead a mind making a departure from God, a rejection of God a turning from God to a more convenient God with a little g. These folks knew God, but they became futile in their thinking and didn't honor God or give Him thanks for all He has done. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image that matched their own corruptible, lustful desires. In their unrighteousness, they make a cognitive choice to suppress the truth about God, most likely both to themselves and to others, thinking how wise they are and what they do. As we continue reading, we see the results of their thinking. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, 
disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Make no mistake about it, they know God. Now, I don't know how much they know God or how much they know about God. What I do know is that they know His ordinance and that those who practice such things are worthy of death. And they not only continue to do them, but they give hearty approval to others that do the same. They applaud ungodly and lustful behavior. And in their foolishness, they are not concerned with what God will do. They are oblivious towards God and care only for their own passions. The Scripture says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. God didn't give them a depraved mind. He only gave them over to their own depravity from within their hearts, as they are hearts being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, and the like. God does not fill their hearts with unrighteousness and the like, but from wicked imaginations fueled by their own lustful desires, their hearts are filled with things they do that are not proper. God does not condone those things that are not proper. We know that because of His ordinances stating that those who do such things are worthy of death. But God is merciful and not willing that any should perish. And so His mercy once again is shown to them and that they continue to live just the same as the righteous and the good, prospering with sunshine and rain until death, which is appointed to all men once to die, which neither they or us will avoid unless the Lord returns first. However, without repentance in this life, they will not escape the second death either, being cast into hell forever, separated from God. Sadly, they are already under condemnation. If not for God's great mercy, bestowing upon us His mercy, you and I and the Apostle Paul would be under the same condemnation. Lamentations, verse 3 21 through 23 says this, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. And so the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What does it mean to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice? According to these two verses, in Romans chapter 12, it involves not only the body, but also the soul and the mind and the will. 
it involves the whole person. It's not my purpose here to define each one, body, soul, mind, and will. Besides, I don't know where each one begins and each one ends because they are all interwoven with each other. However, I do know that without the soul, there's no life in the body and no connection with God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a, a living being, or as the King James says, a living soul. And without the mind, there is no understanding of God, no logic or re- for resolve or direction. And without the will, there is no walking the pathway for holiness and no obedience to follow the Lord's commands and approach the altar and sacrifice. Of course, body, soul, mind, and will incorporate much more than what I've listed here. But the point is, God wants a sacrifice to involve the whole person. He doesn't want us to hold back any part of us, body, soul, mind, or will. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The psalmist asked the question in Psalm 116.12, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? Here's the answer. Our life. We give ourselves and everything that makes us, us, as a living sacrifice, living solely for His will, and give ourselves continually. That's what we need to give. God wants us to willingly place ourselves on the altar continually as instruments of righteousness to Him, for His use, for His purpose, for His will. John MacArthur says, and I quote him, The Christian life is primarily an act of worship in which we give ourselves, end of quote. Of course, it goes without saying that our sacrifice must be holy. Otherwise, it's not an acceptable sacrifice. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 through 20 says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I love Jim Elliott's quote, and I've used it here many times. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. But you know, sometimes there's a problem. Sometimes we try to squirm off the altar like a worm. As shameful as that is, it's true. We have been bought with such a high price the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, giving His life for ours, and yet we repay Him with disloyalty. That's why the Bible, especially the epistles, are so full of 
warning about slipping and falling in our Christian walk. All through the book of Romans, Paul warns the Romans and us to be careful in our walk and avoid those things that will cause us to fall. And nothing will cause us to fall faster than to be sucked into the world system designed by Satan. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul warns us not to be conformed to this world. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he warns Timothy that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Do not be pressed into the mold the world tries to force Christians into. The world is best defined for us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says there, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I read somewhere that everything the world has to offer can be reduced to these three things. I'd quote who said it, but I don't recall. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Exactly the same three things the devil designed to entice Eve with. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When a woman saw that the tree was good for food, she had plenty of food, but still desired the fruit. God said not to eat. That's the lust of the flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise, so wise that she would be like God. That's the boastful pride of life. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. I said a few minutes ago that sometimes there's a problem and that we sometimes try to squirm off the altar. The problem isn't in the world per se. The problem is in us. It's exposed in another familiar verse in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, another familiar verse. It says there, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We get carried away and enticed by our own lust. Everything the world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, the world system set up by Satan matches precisely with our old natures acquired in the fall. God created this world for us, but sin and Satan has altered this world, and it is no longer the place God intended. 
He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And those who have surrendered their lives to Christ Jesus are sojourners here until our Lord returns for us. And because of our old sinful natures, we are not to be conformed to this world for good reason. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. The Apostle Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Paul had a good grasp on who was at the helm affecting our struggle. It is rulers and powers and forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, Satan and his hordes, and every person they have influenced. He also recognized where a tremendous portion of our struggles take place, although indirectly, more directly, with a Christian's own old nature born from the fall. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. He says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully confer with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a difference in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Make no mistake about it. In Paul's mind, full of the Word of God, Paul knew he should follow hard after righteousness. But his old nature, filled with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, waged war against Paul. Paul, the new man that he is in Christ, the new man desiring holiness and serving Christ. The battleground was inside Paul. The battleground is in the mind of Paul's and ours. I am reminded of Lot, whom the King James Version says, his righteous soul was vexed by where he lived and by those he lived around. Listen to what it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. This is in the nasty. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Lot, who lived in Sodom, could not turn to the right or to the left without being confronted with, with sensual conduct, sexual advances, and coarse language. The Word of God says his righteous soul was vexed day by day by what he heard and saw. Did he have a desire to partake of the sexual wickedness in his town? First of all, righteous Lot didn't leave until the angels herded Lot away from Sodom just before God destroyed everyone living in both Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole valley surrounding them. And secondly, the Bible says, even then, Lot hesitated. Lot was a man, 
But the Bible says he was a righteous man. And as such, he was troubled greatly by such brazen sin against God by the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. However, Lot was a man. And as such, the war must have raged on in his own mind as his sinful nature no doubt struggled for the mastery of him, the same as ours does to us. God calls us out of the world, just like he did Lot, and we shouldn't return there again to be conformed to it. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, has the answer for himself and for righteous Lot and for us. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the answer. What comes next is the remedy for what I call stinking thinking. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you and I want to be transformed in our minds, then we better be in the Word of God constantly. If you and I want to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, then we better be in the Word of God constantly. If you and I want to avoid being conformed to this world, then then uh, we need to be in the Word of God constantly. If you and I want victory over the war waged in our minds, our old natures fighting against our new nature with stinking thinking, then we better be in the Word of God. And the Word of God better be in the way we live constantly. Once again, the psalmist asked the question in Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? Who knows the rest of this verse? And what's the answer from the psalmist? By keeping it according to your word. Let's read verse 11 and 12 also. It says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4-6. through 6. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Some in Corinth said that Paul while serving Christ, was carnal and walked in the flesh. That's why Paul responded by saying, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We cannot bring people to Christ and help aid in their salvation through our flesh. Besides, we cannot save anyone, period, on our own, let alone in our flesh. Our weapons are spiritual. God the Father working in us and through us. Jesus Christ working in us and through us. The Holy Spirit working in us and through us. The Word of God working in us and through us. And prayer working in us and through us, bringing people to Christ and salvation. While God works in the hearts of those people, we bring to Him as well. God is all-powerful over all things. 
And just as he toppled the high and mighty walls of Jericho, no stronghold can withstand our God or keep him out. The most stalwart, determined unbeliever who was predestined by our God is converted when his eyes are opened by God to the truth. When God unstops their ears, enabling to hear his word, their wicked imagination cannot stand against the truth of God for his commandments. When God softens their stony hearts, then they are able to cry out to him for salvation, just like the Apostle Paul and just like us. As we serve God in this wicked world, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. Likewise, the same weapons fight the war within our minds. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. By ourselves alone, in our own strength, we will fail. However, the battle belongs to the Lord, and He fights on our behalf on every front. But don't think that you and I can stand idly by while the Lord fights with our old man and with our lust and our sinful thoughts that seem to pop into our minds randomly. Our evil thoughts must be dealt with, and to be idle at this pivotal point is failure, treachery, and treason against our Lord. Allowing our minds to grasp hold of a lustful act or desire from our past history or even some new temptation and contemplate its sinful pleasures causes us to be to be against God. If we are not sold out for Christ in our every part that makes us us, we are against Christ. We are counterproductive to His purpose. Luke chapter 11, verse 23 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. To be idle and leave the thought to gain momentum with our lust is to choose sin over evil and squirm off the altar like a worm. We are to fight alongside our Lord courageously, knowing that with the Lord on our side, we cannot fail so long as we follow His commands, obediently doing our part in the battle. So what is our part? What is it that we do when potentially sinful thoughts threaten our pursuit of holiness with sin? The very first thing we need to do is pray. Once again, we hear the Lord's voice and the Apostle Paul's call to rejoice in the Lord always and pray. Philippians 4, chapter 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And a peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When potentially sinful thoughts threaten our pursuit of holiness with sin, the time to let our Lord know that we are serious about being obedient to Him is now, immediately as it happens. Don't delay. Give control to Christ and obedience to His commands through the Word of God, do what He says. When potentially sinful thoughts come to mind, pray instantly to the Lord. 
for His help to pull down the stronghold that these evil thoughts come from, a former life living in the futility of our minds, doing what pleased you and me instead of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18-19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. If you and I have been saved through the blood of Christ, then we have been buried with Him and raised a new man, and our old man is dead, and should have a tag on his big toe that says, Do not resuscitate. Do not bring that old man back to life or his sinful ways. So pray for God's help and rejoice that He has saved us, taught us through His life and word, and is always near to help us with the truth of His commandments. Psalm 119.151 says, You are near, O Lord, and Your commandments are truth. I'm going to have to stop here even though I've got several pages left. Um, it was a little longer than I thought. But uh, hope that's useful to you. And uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that uh, you want us to, uh, Lord, uh, live holy. You want us, Lord, to present our, our bodies a, uh, a holy sacrifice to you, Lord, a living sacrifice. Help us to live for you, Lord. Help us to do those things that, that uh, you want us to do, Lord. And uh, we just thank you that you fight on our side, that you provide for us, Lord. Uh, you provided the most important thing that we need, Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, our salvation, our hope, and our help. Father, we thank you for it. We pray for our services coming up, Lord, that you would bless them, bless the preacher that's here to preach, and help us, Lord, to be attentive to your word. Help us apply it, Father, and uh, help us to live it, Father, I pray.